this is Dr. Sam Madeira back here on the Dr. Madeira Show, coming to you live in the Livestrong Facebook group today. And today we have a special guest, Sean Needham. How's it going today, Sean? Great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on. Uh, for those of you who don't know Sean, he owns Moses Lake Professional Pharmacy is currently a clinical assistant professor for University of Washington School of Pharmacy and teaches the advanced compounding course Farm 525. He has spoken on topics across the nation from hormone replacement therapy, innovative pain therapies, and marketing of pharmacy. Sean has a passion for helping patients achieve optimal health via hormone balancing and nutrition. He loves to spend time with his family, snowboarding, hiking, and mountain biking. Excellent. So uh, this is awesome to connect with you, and I mean, we've been kind of messaging through uh, Facebook and stuff like that, and you've been an active member in the All Men's Live Strong Facebook group for some time now. Uh, I'm excited to discuss uh, testosterone therapy creams and more, I guess, more uh, the broad strokes of the benefits of hormone replacement therapies for men and women and your experience over the, over the years. Yeah, well, thanks for having me on, and, you know, thanks for the introduction, and I'm really excited. We, you know, we do, my, my wife is also a pharmacist and very instrumental in, in our success at our pharmacy, and we, you know, 90% of what we do is hormone replacement for men and women, so it it is, it is so rewarding, and we've helped thousands and thousands of, of patients, and that's what we have a passion for, and that's what kind of what we're known for, and we just like to build on that. So thanks for having me on. And you've had Moses Lake Compounding Pharmacy for quite some time, right? That is correct. We opened up in October of 1998, and you know one of the reasons why is we just decided that we wanted to do something different. I mean, we were both of us were kind of burn out on the retail pharmacy thing um you know basically you know regular retail pharmacists i mean honestly mostly what they do is and counting poor pills and 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 bill insurance companies and that to us just wasn't very rewarding and it was we either decided we were going to change professions or we were going to do something different so we opened a pharmacy and kind of you know, we were kind of apprehensive about, not apprehensive, but probably just ignorant about compounding because we knew nothing about it as far as doing it out in regular practice because we'd never really seen a lot of it. Um, but one of our colleagues in Seattle told us that the reason a pharmacy wouldn't do a lot is because people don't know you do it. So if you let, you know, providers and doctors and um, know that you can solve their problems by custom compounded prescriptions, there will be compounds to be done. And now, you know, 21 years later, that's pretty much all we do. And it's very, very rewarding. You know, we actually get to use the science and the chemistry and, you know, the the background that we learned in pharmacy school where, you know, a lot of that knowledge is kind of wasted when you're in a retail type environment because you, you know, you literally are just putting pills in a bottle and, and, and billing insurance and you're looked at as an insurance insurance agent a lot of times and just collecting copays. So that's why we did something different. Excellent. Yeah, I, I personally love working with compounding pharmacies as a physician and it's amazing the care and attention that compounding pharmacies give to patients and also education. I, I look at us as a, a team, the compounding pharmacist, the physician, 
and then the patient and you know maybe they have a health coach or nutritionist or something like that too and you know ideally a personal trainer as well so it's it's nice to have that approach uh, for the patient to have a comprehensive tailored made um, compounded medication so it's free of any you know artificial things that may be uh, triggering allergic reactions potentially or just not the ideal dosage range for the patient with um, hormone therapy creams and capsules and whatnot in the medications that you compound what would you say would be the top uh, one to three compounded medications over the years that you've seen as a kind of general theme well you know top three yeah that's pretty easy we, we track that um pretty extensively so top three um number one is estriol vaginal cream um you know estriol vaginal cream is an estrogen cream as you know um dr madera it's an estrogen cream um estriol is more specific to vaginal tissue than than estradiol um and of course another alternative commercially would be um so estradiol cream would be estrace so estriol is is um, an alternative to estrace cream, also an alternative to Premarin cream. And of course, for those of you that don't know where Premarin cream comes from, or Premarin in general, um, I like to make this clear. I don't know how you talk to your patients about Premarin, Dr. Madeira, but I make it clear that Premarin is, stands for pregnant mare's urine. Um, Premarin is horse pee. I, I don't, I am not politically correct about it anymore. It is what it is. Don't just trust me. Do your own research. I don't believe Premarin should ever be prescribed anymore, and because we have better alternatives, um, the, the the analogy I like to give is, you know, we don't use you know pork and beef insulin much anymore, or hardly at all, because we have human insulin. So if we have an alternative to Premarin that are bioidentical hormones, we should we should use something like that. So estriol cream. Is our, is, our, is our number one um, compounded uh, uh, hormone. It's actually our number one prescription, and the reason why is because it does so much. Um, I believe every woman, um, I know that's a strong word, but I believe almost every woman maybe should be on uh, estriol vaginal cream. Uh, estriol vaginal cream helps to prevent, um, you know, it can work not just for vaginal dryness, but it can help to prevent um, urinary tract infections. It can help to prevent um, urinary incontinence. It can help to prevent um, all kinds of issues in that tissue. And it can prevent women from being on multiple drugs later on in life where those, um, where some of those symptoms come up. So it actually treats the problem instead of just treating the symptom. So our second, you know, second prescription, probably most popular hormone is um, progesterone capsules. Um, I like progesterone oral capsules. I know there's a big debate about oral versus topical progesterone. I think it's great that as compound pharmacists, we can offer both. We can offer both um, delivery um, forms because it gives patients options. And I think I can debate about progesterone topical versus progesterone oral on both sides. There's, there's benefits and disadvantages and advantages of each side. So that's our number our number two. Progesterone is is great. I think it's very, very underprescribed. When we, when we think of women, we normally think of estrogen. And one of the reasons why we think of that, because in pharmacy school, I was taught women, estrogen, estrogen, estrogen. And in medical school, most doctors are taught estrogen, estrogen, estrogen. And then 
even more than that, we're taught that if a woman doesn't have a uterus, they don't need progesterone. And, you know, the silly thing about that is, is that, you know, if, if progesterone only works in the uterus, it's a magic hormone because it's the only hormone I know of that would work in only one tissue in the body. Now, I'm being a little bit facetious um, because the what we learn in medical school and pharmacy school, I believe, is is an error. I believe that every woman that needs hormones should should get progesterone also, along with estrogen, whether you have a uterus or not, because progesterone works in multiple tissues in the body, including the bones, including the brain. It is great as a calming hormone. It can help um, women sleep at night. So, you know, women that have sleep problems and they're in that menopausal range, they, they, you know, they, they don't have a lack of, of a sleeping medication. They might have a lack of progesterone. So think of progesterone first. And that's one of the reasons I like the oral form of progesterone because it is actually metabolized into an active metabolite that causes drowsiness called 5-allopregnenolone. I know that's a fancy word, but really just the important thing is, is that it is metabolized directly in the liver when you swallow it to a form that, that helps women sleep. So it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful hormone for that. And then our, our third biggest hormone is um, testosterone and topical testosterone for, for men. And that's, you know, getting much, much larger. Uh, when we first started compounding hormones years ago, it was 90% women. And now our practice is probably pretty close to 50% of the hormones that we compound are for men because um, lack of hormones in men is real too. Maybe a little bit later in life than women and you know, men don't usually have the, the immediate um, symptoms like hot flashes and things, although men can have hot flashes, but men don't usually have that so they don't complain until later when they have decreased energy, decreased libido, erectile dysfunction, weight gain around the middle, um, mood, they have depression, and um, high cholesterol. And so what, you know, what in conventional medicine do we normally do with those patients? Well, high cholesterol, well, you must have a Lipitor deficiency. Your cholesterol has been fine for, you know, 45 years of your life, but now it's high, so you have a Lipitor deficiency. As you can hear my cynicism coming out. But we deal with this every day, Dr. Madeira, and as you do in your practice. And so we like to talk about fixing the problem, not treating the symptoms. So why is your cholesterol high? Well, let's check your testosterone. Well, testosterone helps to normalize cholesterol levels. So let's make sure your testosterone is, is, is normal before we, is optimal before we um, normalize your, before we put you on a high cholesterol medication. And the same thing with depression. How many men in their 40s or 50s get depressed? And what's the first thing we prescribe for them? Oh, maybe Prozac. I'm just using an example. Um, but actually, they don't have a lack of Prozac. They might have a lack of testosterone. Now, I'm oversimplifying this because hormone balance is more complicated than just testosterone, as you know. Um, you know, because thyroid symptoms will mimic, low thyroid symptoms will mimic low testosterone symptoms. So it's important to have thyroid balanced also. Um, you know, so that that's our third biggest hormone, and I'm a big believer in 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 um, you know optimizing testosterone for men, making sure their testosterone levels are optimal. So, does that help your question? Yeah, definitely. Uh, so we got the just to summarize for the listeners, the biggest three compounded hormones that you've seen over the years are estriol and progesterone. 
and testosterone, and then the progesterone uh, cream and capsules, or are capsules more popular? Well, capsules are more popular. I mean, we still compound quite a bit of, of the cream, but capsules are just our most popular. Okay. Excellent. Yeah, I've seen that help uh, with men who seem to be, maybe their receptors in their body are just more sensitive to testosterone, and they aren't clearing the testosterone out of their bodies fast enough, and they're noticing that with either injections or topical cream in the morning that they're still having too much energy in the evening, and the progesterone really helping them calm down and sleep. So similar to what you were saying for women, uh, the... Uh, compounded capsules for men at a lower dosage, you know, usually 50 milligrams every other night or 25 milligrams or something like that every night. Although it, it can, if you overdo it with progesterone for men, you can decrease libido potentially. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that about progesterone. And, you know, I, I think erroneously we, we are all taught that, I wouldn't say all, that's a strong word, but most of us are taught that, okay, well, progesterone's a female hormone, estradiol's a female hormone, and testosterone's a male hormone. Well, we all have, you know, we all have those hormones. We just have them in a different ratio. Um, and progesterone is great for men. It can, it can help men sleep, and, you know, um, it will help decrease the um, conversion of testosterone to dihydroxytestosterone. It, it actually is a 5-alpha reductase inhibitor, which which does the same thing as finasteride. Um, so it it works in the same way that that can, so it can decrease DHT levels. Um, mostly in men, the w reason I would recommend it normally is um, if they're having problems sleeping. Excellent. And uh, more specifically with testosterone, I think I have your study right here. I'm going to pull it up. Um, and show people on the screen, but more specifically with uh, testosterone cream, you have seen great benefit with uh, scrotal application with the compounded cream, and is that typically uh, 100 milligrams per day or 200 milligrams per day, uh, depending on the patients? That's and correct. I believe you had a study that you did as well, right? Right, that's correct. It, it does depend on the patient. 100 to 200 milligrams a day is a pretty common starting dose. The study we did was with 200 milligrams a day, and I'm really super excited about that study. For, for five years or better, we were, we've been, or maybe even more than that, maybe 10 plus years, we've been um, um, asking patients or um, directing them to apply testosterone um, to the scrotal area. And, and it always made sense to me and to clinicians because you know it's a thin-skinned area, um, great blood flow, um, you have less risk of transferring than to somebody else than if it was on your arm or shoulder area. So it made a lot of sense. Now, go back, you know, 20, 30 years, and, you know, that's why you'll still see, you know, some black box warnings, so to speak, that it will talk about do not apply testosterone to the scrotal area. So I try to educate our patients about that, and the literature we hand out still has that in it, just so the patient, it, it, it will make the patient respond to us or their clinician so we can talk to them about why that's out there, because we want them to find that. We don't want them to be surprised. We want them to know about that, and we want to explain that to them. So here's what years ago, when you know we thought that, pro, that um, testosterone caused prostate cancer, 
you know, there was a warning that, well, don't apply it, you know, to the prostate area where the prostate, close to the prostate, because it'll, it'll make that prostate grow, that prostate cancer grow faster. And it just kind of shows you the ignorance of medicine in studies sometimes, because that just doesn't even sound reasonable. And, and let's remember this, that if prostate cancer, if, t if high testosterone caused prostate cancer, um, 19 year old boys would be getting prostate cancer and they don't right. and largely they don't and here again you kind of might hear my cynicism coming out but, it, but it's true I don't call myself a scientist I don't call myself a smart guy I'm a rational guy so when people say that testosterone causes caused prostate cancer I didn't buy it and now 25 years later you know you'll talk to most urologists and they'll say the same thing they'll say no testosterone doesn't cause prostate cancer so we have come full circle on that and I believe that t the testosterone causing heart attacks, we can get into that later on because it doesn't cause heart attacks. Um, that's kind of the same thing. And, and we'll, we'll, we'll get around that eventually. Um, so we've been clinically up, up having patients apply testosterone to the scrotal area for at least 10 years. And clinically, we knew what was happening. We knew that they were getting great absorption. You know, we knew their levels were great when we would test it at the right times. And um, we knew that it was it was working pretty much all day too, um, but when we finally did this study, it really shows exactly what we thought was going on and um, what it does. I'm really proud of the study because it's a, it's the only study I've ever seen from not just a compound pharmacy. There's no other compound pharmacy that's done this study with their own product or any product for that matter with testosterone. And I haven't even seen a drug company do a study like we did with testosterone absorption over time. So what this study showed, and this patient, it's a case study, it's N of one, um, but I do believe that it, it extrapolates into a lot of other patients when we see what happens clinically with them. This So we have, on this patient, they were using 200 milligrams once a day. And um, at time zero, we tested their testosterone and at time one hour after they applied the testosterone. So right before they applied it, we tested their blood. Right an hour after they applied it, we tested their blood. Um, two hours after, six hours after. Now that's what the study says. And if you look at the graph on that study, even after six hours, the levels are kind of going up a little bit, but they've leveled out. So it's got a pretty consistent level. So what you see is at time, time one, one hour, levels go up. Um, I think on that first level, it's like 1,200. Anyway, after hour six, it's still 1,300 and staying consistent. You can see what how the curve is going. So, And we didn't publish it in the study because we didn't have the data back yet, but we have data out past 12 hours and at 24 hours. And it maintains topical testosterone applied scrotally, 200 milligrams with the formulation we make, maintains good consistent levels. Um, above 1,200 for at least 12 hours. And That's impressive. It is. It's super, super exciting. And, and this is a, a little tidbit. We, we, didn't, we didn't put this in the data. And I, and I got to tell you, on that study, just to let you know, there's a really, really smart guy that helped me do that study. And he's my twin brother, Shane Needham. And he has got his PhD in analytical chemistry. And he, this is what he does for a living is samples of drugs and, and testing of drugs. So he knows what, it, what what's going on when it comes to that. And I had him help me write that study. There's some things we didn't publish in that study because, you know, one study 
begots more studies. So there's so many things that we can do from this one study. But one thing that we did find out and that we believe is that we've always wondered, well, and I never had a good answer, but we've always wondered, well, how, how much testosterone or whatever XYZ drug is absorbed when you apply it? And, you know, I've heard things from 10% and 5%, 1%, you know, the numbers are all over the board because we never really know. I think from that study, what we can show scrotally is that um, I bet you if given enough time, the testosterone would be 100% absorbed. Now, that might sound really, really against what, what, modern, what we've been taught uh, modern day when it comes to absorption of, of topical testosterone, but let me, let me reiterate that. So, and let me explain it. So, the reason I believe that is because when those levels stay consistent and those levels in that topical study do not peak, we see that those levels um, are absorbed consistently. So, so here's what I think is happening in the skin. The skin is a wonderful barrier to prevent poisons from being absorbed. Um, you know, without our skin, obviously we would die and, you know, things would be absorbed in our skin that we, that would, would kill us. So our skin is a great barrier to prevent poisons from being absorbed. Well, our skin is going to think anything that's applied to it is a poison. Um, so it can't let too much be absorbed over time. So if you notice in our study, even one hour or two hours post, um, there is not a high peak. It does not peak. The skin only allows so much to be absorbed over time. It doesn't allow a high peak. So what does that mean? That means that um, you don't convert as much testosterone to estradiol. And um, we did show that in the study. We did show that. We didn't publish that in the study, but we did show that with this patient that the estradiol levels did not um, go up. Um, didn't check the HT levels, but I'm going to guess it's kind of the same, the same thing. That may, that may not be the case, and I would love for somebody to debate that with me. Um, so the skin doesn't let those drug levels peak because it only lets so much get in over time. That being said, I think it acts as a good depot, which means that it just lets a certain amount be absorbed per hour. And if you let it sit there long enough, and it might be a week, I don't know. We haven't done a study on it. I think almost all that testosterone would be absorbed. Now, obviously, we normally shower and, and wash those areas off. Um, so... But what that does tell me is that it creates a, a good consistent level over time and it's, and it's absorbed very well and probably 100%. Now, I'm going to compare that to, to injections. And um, there, are, there are some things that are good about injections. One of the things good about injections is you know that it's going to be absorbed. It's an injection. So it's going to get your level up there for sure. Um, and another advantage of the injections is you don't have to worry about it transferring to somebody else. So, you know, your testosterone won't rub off on somebody else. Now, the disadvantage of an injection, it's an injection. That's what most patients would tell me would be the disadvantage is it's an injection. So some patients are fine doing it themselves. Some patients are fine um, getting somebody else to do it for them. Um, it just depends. Now, backwards for injections, um, you know, we, we if you look at the package insert of Depotestosterone, for instance, you know, the 200 milligram Depotestosterone, I think it says recommended dose is one injection every three to four weeks. Well, what happens with, what happens when you get that injection? So you get an injection and, you know, within an hour or two, your level goes up. And even for a couple days, it's going to go up and it's going to peak and it's going to be pretty high. 
And then obviously, before you get the next injection, let's say week three, your levels are gonna be low. So you've got levels that go like this. So what we've done with injections um, since then is we've, we've done a lower dose more frequently. So instead of doing one injection once every three weeks, we do one injection, we started with every, one injection every, every week. And now there's even um, you know, doctors that prescribe it two to three times a week. But here's still, even if you did daily injections, small dose injections with testosterone, and if you check the level right after you injected, it's gonna be high. It's gonna peak because it, it um, goes across that skin barrier. It bypasses that. Any needle will bypass that. So you do get a little bit of a peak after, after injection, um, no matter how, how high or low the dose is. So that's one of the disadvantages of injections is that you get those peaks and you get those valleys. And I realize that you do get less peaks and valleys the more frequently you, get the, you do the injection. But if you check the level right after injection, it is going to be um, a lot higher than it's going to be you know, a day later, that's for sure. And with the transdermal, we kind of showed in this MK study that that's not the case. Now one thing I want to mention about the transdermal also is that I believe because the way it works, it it works more in a diurnal variation like our body does producing testosterone. So our body produces testosterone in a diurnal variation, which means a daily variation. You produce more in the morning and then it slowly goes down and being lowest at like two o'clock in the morning when we should be sleeping, we should be resting and recovering. That's what our body does. It doesn't have these high peaks and, and low troughs necessarily. It's got more of a consistent level that goes up and goes down slowly. I believe the transdermal does a very good job of mimicking that. And when you shower daily um, and, and wash that area off daily, it's going to be even closer to a diurnal variation because you get that full testosterone off so you're not getting um, more absorbed. You're just getting that, that initial, that, that daily dose. So it's a diurnal variation. So that, that's pretty much it in the study. That's excellent. And then just to clarify, with the applications that you used in the study and what you typically recommend men do who are prescribed the uh, topical uh, squirtle application of testosterone compound creams, apply in the morning and, and then shower in the evening and then apply, keep applying every morning? Or do you also recommend in some cases they apply morning and early afternoon or something like that? Yeah, well, I will tell you, you know, our most common dose used to be 100 milligrams twice a day. So they would apply 100 milligrams in the morning. They would shower in the morning and they would apply, or that's what we would tell them. Now, now what actually happens with the patient is, is two different things. And as you know, that Dr. Madeira, um, you know, patients have varying schedules. Patients have night shifts. Patients might, they might work nights. They might work and they would shower in the morning. And, and the nice thing about showering is it gets your skin moist. You get your skin warm, so your skin's vasodilated. You're going to have better absorption um, initially um, with the topical testosterone. So, and so we were doing twice a day dosing, and then um, after we did our study, we realized that you got pretty good consistent levels after six to eight hours, even. So we recommended once daily dosing, and I think that works for most patients. the The nice thing is, is that obviously they they need even though the dose is the same, it's less, it's less cream and it's, so it's a less expensive prescription. So it can make it easier for patients to afford it and make them more compliant. So also on that, so we normally have them shower in the morning 
and apply it in the morning and then shower off the next morning is what is what we tell patients okay so uh, okay that's excellent and then with the cream do you recommend a versa base or um there's also i think a wiley base what, what is your preference for compounded creams for men and women yeah our study yeah, our, our study was done with VersaBase, um, and now we use a lot of a, what's called HRT Heavy Base. I will tell you this from my experience, and I know there's a lot of um, companies out there touting their base, um, but I will tell you this. I think the most important part is, is compliance and that they use it. And I don't necessarily think um, bases have that much of a difference. Now, now they, there is, I mean, I don't want to make it that simple. Um, because the more water-soluble a base is, the less something's going to be absorbed because you've got less occlusion. So the greasier or the oilier a base is, the more it's going to be absorbed because it's occluding the area more. It would be more like, um, when I mean occluding, I mean covering. It, it covers the area up so things can evaporate off. It keeps the skin more moist so things can be absorbed better. Um, you know, and maybe not necessarily better, but maybe faster, because um, if you let the any of it stay there long enough, it'll probably be absorbed um, pretty well. Um, so I, I'm just I'm I'm more about compliance and elegance, because here's one of the problems: if you, you know, if you got a base that was super well absorbed because it was super greasy, which there's some drugs we do this with, um, it's not it's it's really greasy, it's really messy, it's 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 like Vaseline almost. So it's really hard to wash off your hands. So it's not very um, cosmetically elegant. So patients don't like it. So you have to kind of have a balance. Um, and I, clinically, I think um, we haven't seen a huge difference with bases. And I think one of the issues is because you have to you have to use a base that they're going to be compliant with. Does that, does yeah, that help? That makes sense with the, the bases. And then one thing that I think would be good for our listeners and audience to kind of clarify is with the concentrations of creams versus concentrations of an injection. For example, a vial of uh, testosterone cypionate from a compounding pharmacy that uh, compounds the liquid in like grapeseed oil or something like that or... Uh, different oils uh, will be 200 milligrams per milliliter and sometimes people are injecting you know 150 milligrams or 200 milligrams a week of testosterone once a week or uh, bi-weekly injections is typically what I recommend for men if they are going to do injections uh, and be compliant otherwise uh, a cream and then in your research you're saying 200 milligrams applied once daily uh, I'm just curious about, you know, getting more into kind of the science of absorption and maybe the pharmacokinetics, uh, pharmacology around that. that sure, sure. The listeners could understand that more differently. Sure. So, um, first of all, I'm just going to explain that anytime we're switching from an injection to a topical, um, it's not an exact science necessarily. So, but if you know that the patient was on kind of higher-end dosing of the injection, we would probably put them on higher-end dosing of the, of the topical. So here's what the main difference is, and, and I'm glad you asked that question because it's a great one that can be confusing for patients. First of all, when we compare testosterone, topical testosterone, to 
um, testosterone injection. Testosterone injection is usually what's called testosterone cypionate. The cypionate is a way to make the testosterone dissolvable in an oil and to make it more longer acting in the body because testosterone doesn't have a long half-life. Testosterone has a half-life of only a couple hours. And that's one of the reasons why um, you do a, a deep oak form of injection. So it's in an oil form in the cypionate form where it lasts longer. So 200 milligrams of testosterone, like in a topical, is not exactly the same as 200 milligrams of testosterone cypionate because it, it, there's a salt, that salt form of cypionate um, takes away from that 200 milligrams. That's part of the 200 milligrams. That can be really hard to, to, to explain. I'm not very good at explaining it, but just realize you're not necessarily compared to apples to oranges. The good thing is, is they'll both increase your testosterone. So, but here's the thing with injection, and this would be whether it was sub-Q, it was IM, or it was IV. Now, you wouldn't want to do an oil IV, but um, either way, anytime you do an injection, it's 100% absorbed. Now, that is you know, a pretty general term when I say 100% absorbed, um, but that's why the dose can be lower, because remember, we talked about um, with a topical, only so much would be absorbed over time. So if, if you're using 200 milligrams and you're reapplying it every 12 hours and washing it off every 12 hours, not all of that testosterone is gonna get absorbed because so, you didn't give it enough time. So that's why the dosing sounds a lot different because 100% of the injection gets absorbed, whereas 100% of the, of the testosterone topical doesn't get absorbed. It's not necessarily saying it wouldn't. And that's one thing that our study, that, that we kind of extrapolated from our study, is that I think it would if you gave it long enough time. But, you know, letting a topical sit, in, sit on your skin for a week without showering would probably not be very convenient or most patients wouldn't be very compliant with that. So, does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. So, it's, a, it's just a completely different method of absorption. So, like you said, you're comparing apples to oranges here. And the ester, or the in this case we're using the cypionate as the uh, ester bond to the testosterone in the compounded oil, is not what is attached to it in the cream. So the absorption is completely different. Obviously the route's different too. So uh, comparing more than one aspect of the application. So therefore needing a higher concentration for the cream makes sense, right? Oh, absolutely. And... Yeah. And here's what I say, and I'm sure you've experienced this too with, with your patients, is that, you know, when when we're dosing, whether it's an, a new patient that's never had testosterone or whether you're switching from injections to, 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 to um, topical, you know, you've you got to just start with something and go from there. And, you know, you can, you can monitor with labs and, um, you know, symptoms and history are very important. So, you know, I think it's very important that, that we know that, you know, there's, it's, it's not, it's apples to oranges and just, you need to start with kind of something that's reasonable and then, you know, it might take a few weeks to get your testosterone in balance, but be patient and we'll get it there. Um, you know, so that, that's kind of the whole, the whole, the whole art of balancing hormones is that, you know, it's, it, it's, you know, it takes some time and, um, you know, somebody, you need to talk, you need to meet with somebody that knows what they're doing has to really you know, especially in hormone balancing, has to has to do it. Yeah, definitely hire an expert. And um, I, I mean, I really like your approach here. I'm curious more about the research. 
did you say you did or did not test uh, DHT, dehydrotestosterone, in this uh, one out of one study? And you know, what have you seen in patients? Have you seen with the cream where you have seen uh, more men have signs and symptoms of uh, high DHT like acne or if they had uh, enlarged prostate issues uh, around that with urination, frequency, urgency, or inability to void their bladder if, if that was an issue before testosterone therapy with the cream. Can you speak to that a little bit? Because I know um, kind of like what we we're you were saying with prostate cancer, that whole mythology around testosterone therapy uh, causing causing prostate cancer and that being completely uh, blown out of the water. And, and, you know, I've talked about that here on the podcast before and other podcasts. And I'm just curious about with enlarged prostate, if you're seeing any um, in the first maybe six months of therapy, any aggravations of symptoms? I can't say I can't say that I see a lot of aggravation of symptoms. Um, you know, I have seen uh, elevated PSAs. You know, right after they start testosterone therapy, but you know, I'm not sure what your opinion is on PSA. But there are you know when you do a lot more research on PSA, and I'm not necessarily saying that you know men should get their PSA checked, but there's a lot of things, even daily things, that can affect your PSA. And, um, you know, I've read studies that, you know, ejaculating the night before, you know, a PSA test can increase your PSA. Well, if that's the case, I mean, you know, we kind of really need to rethink that test maybe um, because there, there's a big variable right there. Um, and, and the, you know, obviously they've shown too that when patients have their prostate checked, it can definitely increase their PSA, which makes sense. You know, you're touching that area, so their PSA can skyrocket. Um, so I'm not sure that PSA is the best is the best um, test for for that. I'm not saying it's not a good screen tool, and and I, I think we should probably still still at least use it for a screen tool. But there's there's other there's maybe other issues going on. Um, as far as the symptoms of of um, urination and things like that, I haven't necessarily seen a lot of that. Um, the acne, I can tell you with topical, I just don't see patients complain of, of a lot of oily skin or acne with topical. Now, I will say with, with um, injections, and I, I think one of the reasons why with injections is I think sometimes patients that, that do injections might have a tendency to overdo it a little bit. I don't know if it's that patient demographic or if it's just, it's hard to overdo it with a cream because it's not... You, 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 I mean, it's just really more difficult to do it. Now, I will say I've seen some patients that, you know, have maybe gotten some hair loss, which could be due to DHT, too high DHT, and they were using their testosterone like, you know, 400 milligrams three times a day, topical, which is not very convenient for most patients, so most patients wouldn't abuse that. Whereas, you know, it's pretty easy to abuse an injection. I think that might be sometimes why we see more more side effects with injections. Um, and maybe because of that of that peak that we see, um, so not not necessarily. I think I think because um, you know a, a transdermal is a pretty is a pretty um, consistent way to deliver testosterone without getting those high peaks. So I don't see a lot of the DHT side effects. But on this study, no, we did not check DHT levels. That is something we would like to do in the future. Excellent. 
And then as far as a NAS result, I'd, I'd love to get into this topic with you because I know in the testosterone optimization therapy space, the men health optimization therapy space or uh, men's hormone health uh, community, people are really hammering home on how overuse of a nasrazole and overdosing of a nasrazole is causing, you know, men that are otherwise very healthy, very fit, uh, falling in, you know, case studies where they're falling in the airport and fracturing a hip and they're 40 years old and completely ripped uh, muscular wise. Um, and so there's been more, uh, I guess, debunking of the research showing that we need to give so much anastrozole, uh, which is an off-label use of, you know, usually a compounded capsule of anastrozole for uh, bringing down estradiol uh, with testosterone uh, replacement therapy. So I'm just curious, what, um, what's your uh, professional opinion on that? And if you could speak to that a little bit for the listeners. Yeah. I'm kind of going the route of kind of what you were saying is that, you know, I think we do overuse anastrozole. Um, I think, you know, the main time we see anastrozole, estradiol levels peaking is, um, I think, with injections. And I kind of wonder, too, how the patients are using those injections. Um, sometimes, you know, I think we need to understand who the patient is. Um, you know, there are certain subset of patients that... You know, younger patients typically that, you know, come into our office or maybe your office and, you know, when they request when they request what they want as far as they want injection and they want an ostracol, I think it's something that we need to let them know that, you know, we're the clinician and they're the patient and we need to come on, we need to come to terms with what is best for them. Um, so that's one of the things I think we need to um, make sure that we select our patients well and make sure that the patients really need optimal testosterone, they need their testosterone optimized. Um, and so I, with topical, I hardly ever see anastrozole or, or you hardly ever see that need. Um, I will say that, you know, we do have some patients on it, but we're slowly trying to get them off of it. Because I think initially, I think it was just maybe prescribed because you know, three, four, five years ago, we just were so worried about testosterone being aromatized into estradiol. But I think largely that's overthought. And I think um, unless the patient maybe has some gynecomastia symptoms, that would be a role of, um, of anastrozole. And, you know, realize, you know, that, you know, pay, you know men have estradiol also. And in fact, men's estradiol is almost the same as a woman's when she's not, you know, in the follicular phase or when she's not pregnant. So men need estradiol. Estradiol is good, like you say, for our bones, you know, and it's also good to maintain erections. So um, some of those patients that had those low, low estradiol levels had a hard time maintaining erections. Um, so I, I'm, I'm kind of with the, with the idea that anastrozole could be used less for sure. And what would be the highest dosage, let's say a gentleman and his physician say, okay, you definitely have signs and symptoms of elevated estrogens and estradiol, and we have confirmation with blood work, and your testosterone's okay, so we're going to keep the testosterone medication dosage where it's at, but you're aromatizing. Uh, what's the, the top of the, I guess, the max dose you would go per week with anastrozole capsules? 
Well, I think I think two milligram total dosage a week is probably is probably the max. Um, you know, I'm not saying you know I don't like going for you know what's the lowest dose or what's the maximum dose because every patient is different. But you know, also look at that patient. What, what's the you know I mean sometimes a lot of times the reason we're storing a lot of estrogen is because we, we store a lot of extra fat. Now that's not always the case with every patient, but if the patient is storing a lot of extra fat then if they lose weight, their estradiol level will probably go down. Yeah, so, definitely. Yeah. You know, so that's another thing as clinicians, we need to realize that you know hormone balancing is just a piece of the puzzle. It is not a fix-all for everything. I mean, diet is important, rest is important, you know, exercise is important. So hormone balance is just a piece of the puzzle. Right, definitely. Yeah, I've seen uh, with men, um, three or four of the things that come up over and over again, with high estrogens in the lab when they're using testosterone optimization therapy it is stress, which most people have a lot of stress today. Um, so under a lot of stress with work and or family life or both. And uh, lots of caffeine intake, so you know, three 12 ounce coffees a day usually wow. does it for most guys. <laughs> uh, and I've had some men come in that are using like no-dose and drinking that much coffee or more. Uh, the other thing that I see a lot is the IPA uh, beer drinkers. So, you know, I've, I had a patient in the past uh, who was had a death in the family, and they were drinking a six-pack of, like, really crappy beer every night, and their estradiol was 76, so it was through the roof, um, and they couldn't get an erection or maintain an erection, so they were... They're wondering, like, can you, you know, give me some trochies of uh, Tadalafil or, you know, some something like uh, like that. Um, but it was their beer intake. And then the other thing is excess use of uh, cannabis, which is pretty much everywhere now since it's legal in Washington State and a bunch of other states in the U.S. So I, I see that across the board. And it seems that as men, we're kind of conditioned to chill out with things that increase estrogens. Uh, for multiple reasons so uh, anyway um, yeah so one topic I wanted to get into is how uh, testosterone can replace five different medications and I think in the beginning you touched upon this when you're talking about high cholesterol and how we don't have a Lipitor deficiency and then high cholesterol uh, can be mitigated in some cases with optimization of testosterone levels so maybe we can expand on that a little bit. Yeah, I, I love that. And, you know, when we, you know, I know we're, we're maybe focusing on men, but when, when we, if, you know, if we talk about it for women, it's kind of the same and maybe even a few other things because testosterone can be used vaginally and help prevent a lot of local type issues vaginally also. So, but yeah, let's just think of it. So, Testosterone has been proven over and over again. We could just go through the top ten drugs that are prescribed and probably, and probably talk about how testosterone could probably, you know, optimized testosterone could probably eliminate five of them. So let's think about it. Um, what, what, what's one of the what's one of the top ten drugs and in the hot on, and you know, a, a hot button right now? Opioids. You know, nobody uh, nobody likes to be prescribed. Nobody likes to prescribe opioids anymore. I wouldn't say nobody, but, you know, people are very wary of them. It's really in the media. Um, you know, people have all kinds of chronic pain now, and so we're, we prescribe them opioids, right? 
Well, testosterone, and I don't know if you've had this, uh, you've seen this in your clinic, um, Dr. Madeira, but testosterone has been proven over and over again to help us feel less pain. I mean, it, it's a feel-good hormone. It makes us feel good. It increases our mood, and so we will feel less pain. I've had patients that they were going to need, they, they, this is an extreme example, but this, this does happen. They were going to go to go have knee surgery, and um, she started testosterone therapy, and she did lose a little bit of weight afterwards because, you know, testosterone helps to maintain lean body mass. And um, she didn't need knee surgery. Um, but she was taking pain medications before that. So testosterone helps to prevent a pain medication. So we talked about mood. So depression. Depression, we see it in, in women and we see it in men. You know, in their 40s, uh, many times, men, women, it's a little bit easier to catch because you can ask them questions like, so when did this depression start? So, you know, when did you start stop having cycles or when did your cycles start becoming irregular? And you ask those questions. Well, yeah, my cycles became irregular two years ago or I had a hysterectomy two years ago. Then I got depression and whoa. So all of a sudden you have a hysterectomy and you get depression. So um, really, is there some kind of correlation here or do you just all of a sudden have a have a deficiency in Prozac? No, um, you really had a deficiency in many hormones, not just estrogen, but you, when you had a hysterectomy, you lost your estrogen, you lost your testosterone, you lost your progesterone, um, and there's other hormones too that are affected in there. I'm just going through a few of them. Right. So, you know, and men the same way, it, it, you know, as our, our testosterone levels start declining, and, you know, finally it starts hitting us in our 50s, and we really start gaining weight around the middle, maybe even 40s, gaining weight around the middle, we get high cholesterol, so, you know, um, depression, that's another medication. So antidepressant, um, high cholesterol medication, that's another medication, high cholesterol um, that you might not need if, you're, or if your hormones are, are optimized. Um, I don't know, what, what other medication were you thinking about, Dr. Madeira? Well, you mentioned Lipitor, so statin medication. Yeah, for sure. Um, Lisinopril. So Absolutely. Yeah, high blood pressure. High blood pressure has been linked. There's studies out there to show this that um, high blood pressure has been linked to low testosterone. And let's just let let's just sit back and be rational for a minute. Let's just think about this. So a lot of these diseases, high blood pressure, depression, high cholesterol, um, osteoporosis. You know, that's another one for for women. Not that men don't get osteoporosis; they do, but usually later in life. Um, all these diseases start after our hormone levels start declining. And, and what do we do in conventional medicine? You know, we prescribe all these drugs to help prevent that. Where, like you say, you have the testosterone optimized and a lot of those problems will go away. You know, it, it, it's incredible. If, I mean, I, I went to a conference one time and a, a doctor did a good presentation on what if we had a drug that would do all these things. And it was testosterone. Yeah, so it's it's pretty miraculous. I I've, I've had multiple patients who, you know, I do regenerative medicine injections like uh, platelet rich plasma. Mm -hmm. I said, well, let's do you know, let's optimize your testosterone, and then we'll see if you even need that. You know, within three to four months or less, he was able to hike down some of these steep mountains here up of I ninety in Washington State, able to eventually uh, squat over three hundred pounds. You know, in the gym. So, and you know, we're not talking about overdosing on testosterone. We're talking about low dose bioidentical hormones, like we're talking about today. So, he never needed the joint injection. So he saved, you know, the 
you know, hundreds of dollars that he would have had to spend on that. And then if that hadn't worked, then usually it's, you know, MRI, surgery, PT is the standard of care. So he saved himself all of that trouble. And um, once you go under the knife for surgery, I'm not saying that surgery is the worst thing if it's actually needed, but a lot of the times it's not always needed, as you're saying, and people usually once you get one surgery, you're going to get another one. So. I, I, I'm with you, and that's why we like working with providers like yourself that actually like fixing the problem and not just treating symptoms. You know, um, you know, it's, it's all about helping patients, you know, take care of themselves, get well, not stay in the sick care system, you know, and, and usually in the sick care system, we think of surgery and, and another medication to treat, to treat, a, to treat a symptom instead of fixing the problem. Absolutely. Yeah. In another uh, medicine, and we were talking about thyroid in the beginning here uh, today, is levothyroxine or Synthroid. So, uh, commonly prescribed and also really not that effective of a medication. And maybe we can even talk about that in a second here. But if you can optimize testosterone, sometimes they may not even need as much thyroid medication or uh, potentially any. Obviously, if there is a true hypothyroidism, you don't want to leave that alone and uh, under treat it. But uh, maybe you can talk a little bit about the inefficiency of medications like Synthroid and uh, Leothyronine, the, you know, Cytomel. I just haven't seen them be as effective as the compounded thyroid medications or uh, thyroid medications like Naturethroid, um, Armour Thyroid, etc. Right, no, I, I think that's good. You know, I did a presentation on, on um, thyroid to a, a group of physicians like a Oh, I don't know, a month or two ago, and it's actually on our the Moses Lake Professional Pharmacy YouTube site. Talked about optimizing thyroid, and nice. yeah, and levothyroxine. And I didn't really know this until I did some research. Levothyroxine was the number one prescribed drug in 2016. So yes, it's very popular. And I will say, Doctor Madera, um, I will clarify. I, I, you know, and and maybe correct you a little bit. And I, I don't want to step on your toes, but. Um, See, one of the things that's different is you and I don't see a lot of those levothyroxine patients because that that are doing well, because if they were doing if they weren't doing well, they'd be coming see us. So I do think that levothyroxine works for a lot of patients. I mean, you know, I really honestly do. Um, but when those patients come to us and it's not working, we have to find other alternatives. So we see a lot of patients that levothyroxine fails on. Right. So. Just for our listeners, levothyroxine is uh, brand name Synthroid. It is also known as T4, um, T4 meaning thyroid 4, um, and it is the inactive form of thyroid, yet it is the most common thyroid prescribed for low thyroid. So, But T4 has to be converted to T3. T3 is thyroid 3. The only difference is, is both of them have a tyrosine molecule. T4 has four iodines and T3 has three iodines. That's the only difference. But T3 is a lot more active at the receptor site. It is mo So it's called the active form of thyroid. And you have to convert T4 to T3 to be active. So if you're taking Synthroid or Levothyroxine and you're not converting it, you're, you will not feel great. Now, your lab levels that they normally check, that conventional medicine normally checks, your TSH, thyroid stimulating hormone, it will normalize. Um, but but you might not feel well. So 
because you don't have that active thyroid. So that's when you see a doctor like Dr. Madeira and um, he talks about T3 and, and prescribing T3. The commercially available T3 is um, Cytomel and the problem with Cytomel is it is it is not sustained release, so it's not slow release. And T3 has a short half-life, so it's only got a half-life of a few hours, which means it only works for a few hours. The way our body produces it, if we are converting it or producing it, you know, it's gonna last all day long, we're gonna keep producing it. So if you take this short-acting medication and it wears off in two or three hours, you're gonna bonk and you're not gonna feel good after two or three hours. So you either have to take it three times a day or you have to get a sustained release capsule, a slow release capsule. That's where a compounding pharmacy comes in, where we can make that T3 slow released. So it's releasing throughout the day, more mimicking how your thyroid would be producing um, T3. Does that make sense? Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I like the slow release. And you know, often what I you're you're right. I mean, most of the people we do see are the ones you know the ones that are doing well aren't going to ask for help. So. Right. And then even the ones that aren't doing well usually wait too long to ask for help. So True. See your compounding pharmacy and other compounding pharmacies have the ability to make an immediate release and slow release for uh, T3 and, and T4, right? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. T4 is, you know, we usually combine T4 and T3. And T4 doesn't need to be slow release just because it's got a super long half-life. But it's very convenient to put it in there with the T3 um, you know, so they they can take one capsule at a time. Right, keep it simple. Yep. And then, uh, as far as uh, maybe we should get into, I think we covered most of the medications. Well, we talked about Lipitor, but metformin is another one that. Uh, well, yeah. A lot yeah, absolutely. Some benefits, actually. Yeah, and well, let me talk about that. One thing I'm forgetting is that, and and you kind of mentioned it. And I think I talked about it a little bit, but you know when you know when we talk about hormone balancing, we have to talk about overall health um, for sure, because that's what it's all about. And 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 hormones are a piece of that puzzle. And um, you know, especially t testosterone and thyroid can help patients lose weight. But as you know, you know, cardiovascular disease is the number one killer of Americans. Um, and you can combine all the other things below it, and it's still not as 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 much as cardiovascular disease. And heart attacks and stroke, cardiovascular disease, are main are a, a big cause of them is to being overweight. So if our patients can lose weight and be, I don't like the term ideal body weight because ideal body weight is, I don't think means a lot necessarily. I think right. we, we need a healthy weight um, and a healthy body fat. Because um, for ideal body weight, I'm still 30 pounds overweight, so I'm considered obese for ideal body weight. But if I was to lose 30 pounds, I would look emaciated. So it, it's important that we have lean body mass and less body fat. Um, right. So the losing weight body portion. What's that? There you go. It's important to have adequate body composition. That's correct. So, right, right. Adequate right. body so composition. Of fat, so you need a certain, men and women need a certain percentage of body fat to make hormones. So what we see in men that are too lean, you know, 12% or less or even, you know, 10 or 5% potentially body fat, they might not even make any hormones or at least not adequate optimized levels. Yeah, and, and definitely can't store them very well, for sure. Right. Yeah, um, so losing weight's a big part of it. And, you know, you talked about, you know, the, the man that has too high of estradiol levels because he drinks six IPAs a day. 
you know, also, I'm going to guess that man, you know, just because of that lifestyle is probably going to be overweight also. So, you know, I mean, that's just another thing. I mean, you know, drinking excessively is not going to, is, you know, is not going to help the issue. And, you know, you got to be, I, you know, at a, at a, at a good body composition also. So, um, I know we want to talk about metformin. So, I mean, you talk about metformin. One of the things is, is I, I metformin out of all the type two diabetes drugs or for patients that are insulin resistance or resistant or women that have PCOS, I, I like metformin the best necessarily, but I still think that, you know, losing weight is probably the best thing. Um, you know, and, you know, and that's, that's one thing we didn't talk about. So think about a, a, a testosterone patient. And I've seen these patients. Think about a testosterone patient that starts out as a type 2 diabetic, you know, and then they lose 50 to 60 pounds. And, and some type 2 diabetics can be on two or three different medications. And just think about it. Those medications can go away. Literally, they can go away. I'm not, I, honestly, I'm not a big believer in long-term medication, conventional medication for type 2 diabetes because I largely believe it's a lifestyle disease. I think it can be controlled with diet and exercise and being a healthy weight. Um, so I don't think those drugs necessarily are going to help them long-term. Definitely not you know, um, mortality or morbidity. I don't think they're healthy when they're taking those drugs. So you know, uh, my goal would be to, you know, to, to get those patients on a healthy diet and a, and a better lifestyle to get them off those drugs. So. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. I actually have a, uh, a 10 week metabolic reset program. And in that program, we've had male and female patients lose anywhere from 22 to almost 40 pounds, 37 pounds. And typically that happens in the first, you know, eight weeks six to eight weeks of the program and then they are able to maintain it afterwards and it does reset the metabolism we've had people who have not only lost that weight they've reversed uh, metabolic syndrome pre-diabetes which is part of metabolic syndrome diabetes uh, gone off of blood pressure medication so reversed high blood pressure increased testosterone levels and then uh, had a patient who was able to uh, go off of their statin medication, uh, go off of their Crestor, and increase their testosterone, you know, 50 points total testosterone, which is pretty good for lifestyle, uh, given the amount of stress that most of my patients are under, and most people are under today. So, weight loss, you know, pretty impressive, and then, you know, still can optimize testosterone if needed after that or during. Um, have you seen testosterone? You said you mentioned uh, testosterone therapy helping people go off of diabetes medications. Have you also uh, seen that help them lose significant amount of weight through helping them uh, get more active and lift more weight or be more energetic and active? Oh, for sure. For sure. I, I think that that's why they get to get off their diabetes medications is because they yeah. lose weight and, and become more active. And you know, you know, let's, let's make this clear. I, I didn't, you know, I, I said this once, but I want to I say this again. I, I don't think it's, I, it, it's not just the testosterone. I, I just want to make that clear. But I think sometimes when, when people finally say, you know what, I went the conventional route and I, I'm on 20 different medications and I don't feel great. I, I, I'm, I'm gaining more weight. I, you know, I don't feel healthy. I feel sick all the time. And they finally say, you know what, I'm going to go to a specialist like yourself, Dr. Madeira, and I'm going to have them balance my hormones. 
I think it's kind of a reset in their brain and they finally say, okay, I'm, I'm committed to this. I'm paying money for this. I'm, I'm going to buy these hormones. I'm going to, you know, pay you for the fee, for their consultation fee. And then they realize they're all in. It's like, okay, I'm all in now. So that means I, I need to change my diet also. I'm not going to just take this magic testosterone. It's going to make everything go away. I need to change my diet. I need to change my lifestyle. I need to sleep better. I need to stop drinking or, or at least drink, you know, very little or, or in moderation. And um, I, so I think it's all a piece of the puzzle. And, and, and yeah, we, we see it all the time. We, you know, that's our whole goal. When, when I get a patient and, you know, depending on, on what, on who their doctor is, I mean, sometimes it's like, oh, great, you know, because, you know, trying to get them off the statin or get them off the blood pressure medication is not, is going to be tough. But when I work with, work with doctors like naturopaths like yourself, you know, I love it because when they tell you the medication list and they're on, you know, they're on Lipitor and they're on Prozac and they're on, you know, this list of drugs we've been talking about, it's like, you know that our goal is to get you off these, right? And they said, oh, absolutely. Doctor told me that. We're going to work on that. I said, good. So it's going to take some time, but that's kind of the goal. So, you know, keep, keep reminding us of that, you know, so... Yeah, absolutely. I, I, that's that's kind of our goal. That's what made Janet and I change our practice, you know, 15 years ago when we just decided that, you know, we had a patient that, you know, was morbidly obese and um, she was on 20 different medications and we were not doing her any favors by giving her medication. We were enabling her is what we were. And we finally said, you know what, we're done. We are going to help patients get health, get healthy and get well. We don't want to, we don't want um, these patients to, to, to get sicker all the time and just give them something that they have no value in us. They have no value in the medication. They're not going to change their diet. They're not going to change their lifestyle. They're going to take a pill for their, for their issues. Well, that's not, that's not what's healthy. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I, I like that you uh, mentioned the enabling because I, I do see that some patients and it, I think it's easy as a physician whether it's a herbal supplement or nutritional supplements, uh, even if it's high quality uh, prescription supplements like I prescribe and like you have in your compounding pharmacy and compounded medications, I do see that patients are looking for those to be their crutch and then still not completely changing their lifestyle and or mindset. And you know that is where everything needs to happen because if they're still only sleeping five to six hours a night and they're using a testosterone cream and still eating the junk food and drinking the IPAs and then they're kind of like, well, why isn't this testosterone saving me from my crappy lifestyle? Then it's, you know, wishful thinking and nobody is being helped in that situation. Right. It's not long-term wise. It's just enabling them to continue on with their really unhealthy lifestyle and mindset and oftentimes it's, as I say to my patients, you know, most of your life is outside of my clinic and outside of these consultations, and that's where most of the changes need to occur. So whether it's career, uh, relationships, uh, either improved or changed, all those things, and sleep, diet, exercise, etc. And then, yeah, obviously, if you're not using the medication as prescribed or correctly, then that's a that's an issue as well. You can't just take it once or um, take it for two weeks. And then if it's not giving you all the miracles you're expecting or told you're going to get, you know, you have to stick it out and then retest, you know, recheck the labs and 
make sure that everything's getting truly optimized there. Well, I, I'm glad you brought that up, and I'm and I'm glad you counted your patients on that. You know, unfortunately, in most conventional medicine type type um, doctors would not do that. They don't have the time, so that's why they just prescribe another drug because they've got five to ten minutes with the patient. They don't have time to talk to them about diet and, and sleep and rest and relationships. So they just prescribe another drug and, and put another drug on their list. So Yeah, all too common. Yeah, and they I mean they're stuck in the, the machine of uh, churning out so many patients every day to meet their quota for the hospital, uh, so they can keep their job. Well one thing too I wanted to mention, just like you said, and I'm glad you said it because um you know, I, I'll tell patients this, but, you know, supplements are just that. You know, patients think, well, they're all natural. I'm taking these supplements and they're on, you know, 15 different supplements. Well, supplements are just that. They are, they are to supplement your diet. You need to have a good diet in the first place. Supplements, vitamin and mineral supplements um, or special supplements are just that. They, they are to supplement your regular diet. So you, you still have to eat well, just like you were talking about, Dr. Madeira. Exactly, yeah. Very important, very important. Yeah, I think we all, I think one thing that helps all of us is to have somebody to be accountable to, and even the people that are highly educated. You know, I had a, for example, I had a health coach last year that I worked with personally, and, you know, I've been in and around integrative and natural medicine for 20 years, and, you know, I still am reaching for optimized health all the time. Not just to be an example for my patients and clients, but also so that I can feel and, and look at and do all the things that I do, whether it's skiing or hiking on the weekends or, or what have you. But um, oftentimes I notice that men in particular don't really like having maybe a health coach or a doctor kind of call them on their crap and say, hey, you know, this isn't the healthiest thing for you. And you hired us to help you optimize your life and your hormones and they're connected. So let's see how we can do that and work together as a team. And so I, I like to share that with people that, hey, you know, I hired a health coach. I showed up for those calls. I did the work around that. And it's not easy having someone call you on your stuff and say, hey, you're not really putting in the time to work out. Uh, you're not really meditating anymore or taking any time to relax. You know, you're working yourself into the ground. How is this uh, helping you reach your health goals? You know? And how's that kind of dominoing into other parts of your life? So right. sometimes men were just conditioned like, well, I'm going to get the bacon. I got to make all this money or, you know, this is what we do as men. And we work hard, work hard, play hard, die young. And hopefully that script is starting to be changed a little bit where it's, okay, for me to be truly successful in all areas of my life, I have to remain healthy not just work myself into the ground and then try to pick up the pieces when and if I retire after age 65 or 75 or whatever. So I just see that a lot where people are just driving it hard and, you know, working hard for the holy dollar and then they wake up at age 60 or 55 and say, where the heck did my health go? And now I need to buy my health back. And right. It doesn't always happen. Sometimes you can't get it fully back. Right, we, we we either pay now or we pay later. I mean, we just that's why we got to take care of ourselves early. And you know, you say that. And on our radio show yesterday, we had a a wonderful couple, and they work out together. Um, and they they are just incredible, 
they're inspiring, they're encouraging, they're, they're, they're in great health, they're in their 60s, and they decided they didn't want to be that, that person that, you know, couldn't walk very well when they were in their 60s, you know, and going to the doctor all the time and stuff. So they decided to change their life. And one of the things they said is that, you know, they hold each other accountable. So for their diet and they, and they work out together in the gym. And, you know, speaking of coaches, one of the things that he did is he hired a coach. And this coach will call him out. He's like, hey, dude, you're getting fat, <laughs> you know. And I will tell you, I hired him. I'm a mountain bike racer, and I hired a mountain bike racing coach three years ago. And he, I mean, um, he knows diet obviously very well. I mean, he's, you know, he's a world, he was a world-class racer himself. Um, but we don't go into that a lot. He's giving me some big tips, but, he, you know, he mostly just gives me my training plans. Um, but it holds me accountable. I mean, I, I do those workouts because I want to make sure when my coach, you know, looks at him Monday, it's like, hey, well, it looks like Sean had a good week last week. And it's not that he gets mad or anything, but I just, as people, we like to be held accountable. And that's one of the, what I said yesterday in the radio show is proximity principle. And basically what that means is, you know what, hang around people that you want to be like or that, you know... You can hold you accountable. So if you wanna if you wanna stop drinking, don't be hanging out at the bar all the time and drinking those IPAs with people. I mean, you can't do that. You, you know, if you want to be a better mountain bike racer, hang about mount hang around mountain bike racers. If you want to be, you know, if you want to be able to squat three hundred pounds, hang around people in the gym that can squat three hundred pounds. Um, and and it goes the same in our professional life. You know, if you want somebody with a balanced life, with a with a good marriage, and has a happy family, with good kids, and they have a balanced work life, hang around people like that. Couldn't have said it better. Yeah, right. absolutely. So I think, Doctor Madera, we got to wrap this up. I think one thing we're yeah. missing, though, is um, you want to talk about uh, testosterone pellets, correct? Yeah, real quick. Uh, it's all the buzz right now. I have colleagues messaging me. Uh, left and right, uh, colleagues I know who are going down, and I won't say the company out of respect for them, but going down to a certain company, flying down for a weekend training, and then doing pellet therapy for men and women. So I wanted to get your professional opinion on that for the listeners. So here's here's one of the problem with pellets is that you know the, the biggest disadvantage of pellets is you know so for those of you that don't know what pellets are, they're hormone pellets. You can get them in um, estradiol or testosterone. I will say that, you know, I know there's some providers put in progesterone, and um, but when I think about that at the dose of progesterone we really need, I, I don't know how how effective progesterone pellets could really be. So, I, you know, I know a little bit more about estradiol and progesterone pellet or er, and testosterone pellets. Here's one of the problems with estradiol pellets: is that if the woman has a uterus they will almost always have breakthrough bleeding. So I do know certain doctors that will just stay away from estradiol pellets if the woman has breakthrough bleeding because there is consistent, a continuous dose of estradiol. Basically, what these pellets are is you do a little incision. You can YouTube these videos, actually. You do a little incision with a scalpel, and they take these pellets that are, that are crushed in to a tablet pellet form by a compounding pharmacy, and they insert these... Sometimes they need a stitch, sometimes they don't. With the men, they really do because the, 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 the uh, incision is bigger and you have more pellets. So, And then these pellets dissolve completely over time, and the pellets usually have only one or two ingredients in them. Usually it's pure hormone, estradiol or testosterone, and there might be some steric acid in there. 
which stearic acid is natural to the body, so it's not like it's unnatural. But these pellets will dissolve completely over time, anywhere from three to six months. Now, here's the problem with a pellet, is that um, it's obviously the office procedure. So you need to have it done by a provider that knows how to use a scalpel and knows how to do that procedure. Now, here's one of the problems. Every time you get this procedure, you have a, another incision. And I will tell you from, from women or men that have done this, they will get little scars, you know, and think about it. You do it every three to six months, it adds up pretty fast. So especially if you have scarring problems, it's an issue. Um, with women, usually it's only one pellet because the pellet size can be anywhere from, with testosterone, can be anywhere from, well, 50 milligram to 200 milligram. That's usually the biggest pellet you can make is a 200 milligram pellet. So, and most women need between 50 and 125 milligram. So, so that so the women get one pellet. Here's the problem. Once that pellet is inserted, it's in there. Uh, it is just almost impossible to take out. Very, very, there would be damaging tissue to try to take it out. So, if the dose is too low and you're not having the, the um, symptom relief you would like, you have to do a topical testosterone as an add-on anyway. Um, and if the dose is too high, you have to deal with acne or oily skin for you know three to six months. So that can be an issue with the pellets. So I, I kind of steer away from the pellets because of those issues. And I think especially for women, you know, topical testosterone in, um, applied vaginally has so many local benefits that the pellet cannot do. So, um, and for men, here's the problem with men in pellets is that you have to insert anywhere from six to 12 pellets or, and maybe more to get to get a, a um, optimal dose and it's a lot of pellets and so they put you under local anesthesia they put local anesthesia in there so you're all numbed up um, but for three to th for three days or so you really can't do any long sitting so like long driving in a car you can't do any vigorous exercise you can't do any squats or anything like that or any vigorous exercise you can't be sitting on a bike you can't be um, sitting on an airplane um, and then there's still a problem with those pellets extruding them their way out. So they work their way out. You know, they're a foreign body in the, in, in the, under the skin. So they try to work their way out and they will pop out a lot and they will get sore after the anesthetic wears off. So that's one of the issues. And, um, um, uh, really it's a, it's the soreness, the scarring and the pellets working them way, their way out. And then it, it has to be done. It's a pretty, it's an office procedure. That's a pretty, I'm not going to say it's complicated, um, but it's a, it is a procedure that, that has to be done with a scalpel. That's the disadvantage. I mean, the advantage is, is if you are not going to do injections and you are not going to apply topical cream every day, then your option could be pellets and, you know, you insert them every three to six months and, and you're good. So for a non-compliant patient, that's the only way I would recommend, I would recommend pellet therapy. Thanks for that summary. Yeah, I've heard all the same issues with the infection from the minor yes, surgery. Yes, I forgot about that. Yep. Extruding, like you mentioned. And then I've seen men come to my clinic, maybe similar to like levothyroxin issue or cytomel thyroid medication where it didn't work out for them and they're, they felt horrible and they couldn't do anything for three to four months. Right. And they just completely crashed their endocrine system, shut down their production of natural testosterone production and then they just felt even worse than before the pellet therapy which I've seen with androgel as well so um, which is the conventional 
testosterone gel. Um, topical. But yeah, thanks for that, and hopefully that helps our listeners decide what's best for them. And, you know, if you do get pellet therapy, make sure that this person has been doing this for a while, and if you're not, like, your patient zero or patient right. three, because <laughs> that's, you don't want to be the practicing one. Uh, but hopefully their trainings are, you know, practicing on a lot of people before they do this on real paying patients. Right. Um, any parting thoughts you want to share with our audience? No, not really. I think I think we hit it all. I think um, we had really good conversation here, and I just I, I think what I really want to reiterate is you know you know we, we specialize and and I think you specialize in hormone balancing, but it is a piece of the puzzle. You still have to you know you still have to work with someone whether it be you know a naturopathic physician or or whether it be a health coach with diet and exercise and lifestyle modifications. Those those are so important, and hormones can really really help help to balance all those things out. Excellent. Great. And for the listeners, you can find Sean at Facebook under Moses Lake Professional Pharmacy, and then YouTube, Moses Lake Professional Pharmacy, as well as a YouTube channel. He also has a published book, uh, Sicken, How the Government Ruined Healthcare and How to Fix It, which is an awesome topic. And he has a radio show and podcast as well, Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where they talk about everything healthcare. So that's what he was mentioning. Mondays, 1 to 2 p.m. on KBSN 1470 Moses Lake. So uh, streams live on Facebook and, and your YouTube channels. So everyone can check out those. And uh, thank you again for being on the show. And I'm... Um, Really honored and glad to have you for your time. I know you're very busy. So thanks again, and we'll be in touch. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much. All right. Excellent. Take care, everybody. Bye bye. 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 Everybody. Bye bye.